evidence and answers. We've all become aware of bias in the news media today. With so much information coming from so many sources, how can we determine truth in the news media? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucaran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Recently, Pat held his first ever Zoom apologetics conference entitled Truth, Finding Clarity in Confusing Times. Guest speakers included Kirby Anderson, Fazal Rana, Randy Manley, and our own Pat Zucran. Now with part two of Truth in Media is Kirby Anderson. Robert Lichter, along with Stanley Rothman, did the most extensive survey ever back then in the 1980s of the so-called media elite. He might say, well, that's a quarter of a century old. Yes, but the advantage of this is, is when he was surveying these people, they were really honest. And they didn't necessarily uh, guard what they were saying, so they told him some things that today I don't think you would get if you did the same kind of survey, although I found a way around it. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And so when he was looking at and interviewing people at ABC, NBC, CBS, the Associated Press, United Press International, New York Times, Washington Post, Time, Newsweek, U.S. News, and World Report, he found, first of all, they were liberal. Oh, I know that really surprises you. No, it actually surprised him. Because what he found is, is that the media elite always, at least 80% or the more, always voted for the Democratic candidate. In 1984, when 49 states in America voted for Ronald Reagan, only one state voted for uh, Walter Mondale, 80% of the media elite still voted Democratic and all the way down the ticket. So they were even more liberal than sometimes you would expect to find in maybe a local newspaper. More to our point, though, he found something else which was really fascinating. That is, 86% of the media elite seldom or never attended religious services. They didn't go to church or synagogue. They didn't know people that went to church or synagogue. When asked to give a religious affiliation, 50% couldn't come up with an answer, like Protestant, Jewish, Catholic, couldn't come up with an answer. That's how disconnected they were from any kind of religious ideas. And then finally, as you might imagine, they were humanistic, and there's a whole series of those, but let me just take one. They found that more than 90% of the media elite supported a woman's right to choose. Now you can imagine if you are pro-life and you're trying to get your message out and the gatekeepers in the media elite uh, disagree, matter of fact, passionately disagree with your view, how difficult that would be. Now, interestingly enough, since I've been using television, let me go back and talk about television, because then they went not only and looked at the people in New York, primarily, that were involved in news, but then they also looked at television. And so that were the major networks in New York, but it was the people that produced television in Hollywood, Burbank, Beverly Hills. And what they found is something interesting, and that is the people that are responsible, and back then were responsible for television, more of them had a religious upbringing. Now, that um, might be somewhat deceptive, if for no other reason than the fact that a good number of people that work in Hollywood actually come from a Jewish background. Now, it doesn't mean that they're practicing Jews. They may have been to a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah a long time ago, but nevertheless, somewhat religious. And again, they found that they were also very liberal. But here was the interesting thing. Even though they had a religious background, they found that actually of the media elite that determine what you see on television, 93% 
seldom or never attend religious services, which has caused many people to conclude that actually the most secular institution in the country, even more secular than the university, is television. Does that mean there's no Christians in television? No, there are a number of Christians. What they tend to do oftentimes, they tend to uh, hang out in more Christian-friendly programs and studios, and they produce, you know, all sorts of programs that you'd be familiar with, Touched by the Angel and Home Improvement. I mean, go through the long list, they're pretty well known. But uh, again, the percentage without religious affiliation was a little lower because actual, as we said before, there are a number of people that are Jewish. But again, a very secular view of the world. Up until now, you're going to say, okay, well, that's great. That was in the 1980s. We're in the 21st century. Do you have anything better? Well, yes, I do. And it turns out that a very good amount of research was done by the political science professor, Tim Grossclose, at UCLA at the time. He now is at George Mason. And he constructed what is called a very precise measure of media bias. It's called political quotient, or PQ for short. And what he concluded, and again, this is not terribly surprising, that 18 out of the 20 news outlets that he surveyed were left of center. And the few examples that weren't, as you might imagine, Fox News and I think it was Washington Times, but most were. And so that was certainly the case. Now, what he also was able to do is to figure out how far to the left they were. This was very interesting. He said that if you could take all of the people in the media who are journalists and broadcasters and uh, scriptwriters and all that and make them just a congressional district and put them in a congressional district, it would be the most liberal congressional district in America. More liberal than the congressional district that I grew up around in the San Francisco Bay Area in California, more liberal than the most liberal district in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So again, not just liberal, but very liberal, or maybe what many people today would call very leftist. He also came to another conclusion in the book, it's really very good, and we'll mention some of it a little bit later, and that is he founds that sometimes the media will, when it distorts the facts, will give you lies or incorrect facts, but that's the rarity. Actually, what it is, is what in most cases is left out. And so uh, they, you can point to, and he has good examples of individuals that actually misrepresented something, told you a lie which oftentimes is called fake news. But a lot more of what he found wasn't that they said something that was false. And of course, you just heard Pat talk about, you know, hands up, don't shoot. I mean, everybody has been able to document that, including the Barack Obama administration, including uh, Missouri, and even there outside of Ferguson and St. Louis concluded that there, that was never said and that was a myth that was repeated occasionally mostly by individuals with Black Lives Matter or something like that. But in most cases, really, media bias shows up by what is not mentioned, by not covering a key fact that causes you to say, oh. And over the last couple of weeks, we've learned quite a bit about some of these tragic shootings that have in times weren't either covered because they in some cases weren't known, or when they were known, were simply left out. And so again, one of the application points here is for you to read widely. Just because you read it in one source 
Don't believe it? Check out some others. I say on my radio program all the time, don't believe it because I say it. We have posted usually a couple of articles and you can read it for yourself and take the time to figure it out. And I read um, on left and right and look at all sorts of different issues and try to determine what the facts are. And if you don't have time, then at least get trusted sources. People that you come to believe are trusted because sometimes bias surfaces in large part simply because certain facts are left out. Well, let's look now at another aspect of this because I want to move away from just the idea of truth in the media to the need for us to have discernment in the media in particular because of the influence media is having in the lives of our kids and our grandkids, but even in our lives and to recognize that because of the pandemic and the lockdown, this problem that we identified years ago is a more significant problem than ever before. So let's look at that for just a minute. Probably the best way to get into this is to use a quote from Nicholas Carr. By the way, if you go to the pro website, you can get all of this very well documented and read it. But he goes to a film that probably many of you have seen before, and it's the movie 2001, uh, Space Odyssey. And there's a situation in which the computer named Hal is starting to go crazy, killing people and all the rest. So Dave Bowman begins to disconnect the memory circuits of Hal. And at one point, the computer says, Dave, my mind is going. I can feel it. I can feel it. Well, interestingly enough, Nicholas Carr, who wrote the book, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains, the book's called The Shallows, said the same thing. I can feel it too. Over the past few years, he said, I've had this uncomfortable sense that someone or something has been tinkering with my brain, remapping the neurocircuitry, reprogramming the memory. He said, you know, it's to be that I would sit down with a book and I would be engrossed in it. Sometimes I'd look up and a whole hour had gone by. And he says, now I notice that my attention sometimes begins to fade after one paragraph or even a few sentences. And he says a lot of that has to do with the fact that there is sort of a remapping of our brain, and it's happening because of these digital devices. What we oftentimes refer to is what's called neuroplasticity. And that's a good thing in some cases, because if you use it, it increases the number of neural connections. Edward Topp, for example, conducted experiments on right-handed violinists. If you were to look at the brain scan of me and compare it to the brain scan of my sister-in-law who plays violin in a symphony, you will notice that that part of her brain associated with her fingering is much larger because she has been doing that for you know, tens of thousands of hours, I would imagine by now. Uh, and again, it illustrates that this is something that we develop. It's muscle memory. Pat Zuckerin is a great golfer, and that came from uh, swinging that golf club time and time again. I'm a pretty good basketball player. That came from shooting lots of baskets. And over time, we can develop those neural pathways, and that is good. But in the same way in which those are developed, we see some differences. For example, this study here showed that London taxi drivers uh, in their posterior hippocampus, which is uh, really identifying spatial data, those that have been driving around London have a much more developed brain in that regard because actually they have been driving it and so they have in their brain kind of a spatial map of London. 
which would suggest that if you, um, even in this country, need to get a ride, get it from a taxi driver who's been doing it for years rather than somebody that's with Uber, uh, because after all, they might actually have had more experience in that regard. What I think we're getting at is this whole idea of neuroplasticity. It turns out that the brain is rewiring itself and can rewire itself. So if you use it, you build it. If you avoid it, it dies. And so in a sense, our digital devices have been really reprogramming our brains in some pretty dramatic ways. And so I think it's really, if nothing else, an action item for us after you've heard this message to reevaluate how much media you let into your life. Because here's an article actually from the Huffington Post on how the internet is rewiring your brain. We have lots of examples. First of all, addiction. You know, when I, George Barna, who's been on my program before, wrote an article years ago about internet addiction, I said, oh, I don't believe a bit of that because after all, let's face it, everything's supposedly an addiction. But nevertheless, I began to realize, yeah, people really are addicted. Distraction, depression, overload, and you can begin to see that there are some really significant things that we need to think about. So my point is, is that there are lots of books and resources. So before I get into the next point that I think we'll move through fairly quickly, just for those of you that maybe have a youth ministry or have teenagers or grandchildren, let's, if I can, mention that my book, Christian Ethics in Plain Language, Dave mentioned one of the books that I helped edit, which is actually written by a number of probe staff, including myself, on arts, media, and culture. And then I also have a little booklet on a biblical view on social media. So if you find yourself saying, I'd really like to get a little more information on that, maybe what I can do is send a, a package with a couple of those uh, biblical view on social media to Pat Zucharin, and if you want to get one from him, uh, maybe if you donate to his ministry, Evidence and Answers, you could get some of those. But if you go to the Probe website, it's probe.org, you can get any of these resources. You can get a full book, you can get a book that has a lot of chapters, or you can get a booklet. And um, just before we're done, though, since we've been talking about truth and media, there's a sense in which um, we are also promoting a lot of lies through the media and through technology. And so one of the books I would recommend for those of you that have a teenager, maybe you have a teenager in your house that's a son or daughter, maybe you have a grandchild, a grandchild or somebody like that. Maybe you're just involved in ministry in the church. This is a book that really addresses this issue, screens and teens, because we're seeing that more and more kids are spending time in front of their digital devices. And as a result, they're really tempted to pick up some of the lies of technology. Let's look at uh, a couple of those real simply. First of all, I'm the center of my own universe. Well, that's not surprising. I mean, we all know that teenagers tend to be a little more self-centered, but in some respects, the technology has reinforced that because they can post various pictures on Facebook or videos on YouTube, or they can get on Snapchat, or some of you older people listening are wondering if I'm speaking in tongues right now. No, there's all those kinds of things out there, and that just reinforces some of the narcissism there. Another thing is it also reinforces one of the lies of technology. I deserve to be happy all the time. And if you notice, young people today seem always so unhappy because, after all, they live in this culture of now. 
you know, shopping used to take time, but now you can get what you want. You can go on Google right now and you can find it. You can go on Amazon, you can order it. Of course, then they go on Facebook and they see everybody uh, with Instagram or Facebook. It's like a highlight reel. And there's FOMO, the fear of missing out. And they want to know what's going on and they feel really sad because they're missing out because they live in a culture of impatience. You know, we expect speed. Answers should come one mouse click away. We live in a culture of easy. We have access to what we want and we can edit it. We can correct what we want. We live in a culture of new. Um, for those of you that have younger children, when the movie Frozen was available, the first day it actually sold 3.2 million DVD Blu-ray discs. Of course, now a lot of it just simply comes downloaded. And so in the midst of the lie of happiness, we need to replace that with, I can find joy in my circumstances. One of the other lies is choice. I must have choice. Teens just love choice. Variety is the spice of their life. They love all of this. Choice is what makes them happy. Some of you might say, I'm just overwhelmed by overchoice. But the younger you are, sometimes you love that. Every minute, Instagram users post 216,000 new photos. YouTube put in 72 hours of video every minute. And they're overwhelmed and sometimes dissatisfied with the choices they have to make. They complain and argue. And so in some respects, it comes back to us parents. What are we modeling? Many teens, as I mentioned, multitask, they struggle to focus, they're jumping from one screen to the other, they almost look like they have ADD, but it's a lot of having to do simply with choice. And so as a result, because they have so many choices, they become incapacitated by those choices. They find it difficult to make decisions. And there, I think we can say to them, God can help you with your choices. Another one, I'm my own authority. This generation doesn't disregard authority, they just think they're the authority. They don't need to listen to anyone. They're the center of the universe, and they're really trying to make themselves happy. And then, in a sense, think about how television, even the movies, reinforce an anti-authority mindset. Sometimes gaming makes gamers feel in complete control. And so as a result, uh, this is the case. They can text and email, sometimes without accountability. And we need to replace that simply with, I need authority in my life. I learn to trust it. And then finally, the whole issue of information. Information is all I need, not teachers. You know, I grew up with uh, young people that I, for a while were telling me, why do I need to learn the multiplication um, tables? Because I got a calculator. Why do I need to learn that? Now today I'm hearing kids say, why do I need to learn history? Why do I need to learn civics? I've got Google. And so in a sense, they're already sort of intuitive with technology. And so in some respects, digital technology has been with them. Now we have a whole digital native generation growing up, the so-called iGen generation. And they long to be self-sufficient. And sometimes they have short attention spans. And sometimes they know that information is easy to get. So they just merely Google it. Their interest in learning isn't quite like it was. And of course, they enjoy infotainment and so they're comfortable with kind of the ambiguity and complexity that Pat was talking about last hour. They're really quiet. You know, think about uh, what it says in Psalm 46, you know, to actually be quiet and to know that I am God. Uh, that just almost doesn't exist anymore in this 24-7 news cycle. And so again, replace that with the idea that I have much to learn from God.
And just before we end for this uh, session, let me talk about something else. Some of you may actually be pastors or your Sunday school teachers or your Bible fellowship leaders, or you'd like to just maybe get a better handle on how to interact with this digital world. But especially for your pastors, Tim Chalice uh, is an individual I've interviewed many times, and this book really, in some respects, is written for some of you that are in positions of church authority. So if you're a pastor, go get the book, and you can get it on Kindle. It's really inexpensive. But he really recognizes what the digital world is doing even to our churches, what it's doing to the, our faith, how we're relying more on computers and cell phones and the internet and communication and commerce and entertainment. How even if you're a pastor and you're giving a sermon, sometimes people are going on Google to check you out, see whether that's actually true. Uh, and so they really, he's talking about this world of instant message, which has caused people to feel disconnected. Think about this right now during the pandemic and the lockdown. We are still connected digitally. We're connected digitally right now, aren't we? But in some respects, we're more disconnected physically than we've ever been before. And some people are beginning to wonder if all this technology is good for our souls. So if you're thinking, my goodness, I would love to have a sermon or maybe some information that I could pass on to my congregation to get them to begin to think about some of the things Kirby Anderson's been talking about here today on the need for discernment about the news and information you get, the needs for discernment about whether or not I'm spending too many hours every single week in front of a device, a screen. It talks about communication. It talks about distraction. It talks about information. It talks about how this is even undermining our view about truth and authority. And, of course, I haven't even talked about, but I have a whole book on the subject of privacy and security, how we're losing our privacy today. And I think, if nothing else, it illustrates, again, one of the reasons why we wanted to do this particular program this hour on the media now, if you think what I'm calling you to do is to go out there and burn your books and take a hammer to your cell phone and to disconnect your television set. No, I live in the world of media. I use Internet. I do radio. I do video, as I'm doing right now. Um, but at the same time, I think there is a real need for us as believers to begin to think about how this digital world is affecting us and to actually use it in a way that honors God, but not to fall prey to some of the distraction and some of the negative aspects of this digital world. And so let me again mention a couple of other resources. I mentioned my books in just a minute, but let me mention some others. Kathy Cook's book, Screens and Teens. If you have a teenager, uh, that's just one of a couple of books I can recommend, and we have others that we recommend on our pro website. I mentioned Tim Chalice's book, The Next Story, and I was thrilled that uh, Pat Zucharin mentioned Abdu Murray. I have been with Abdu Murray face-to-face -face on two separate occasions at uh, Camp of the Woods. Matter of fact, last year I was with Abdu Murray and the last time we were ever with Robbie Zacharias. And of course, I've had Abdu Murray on my program on numerous occasions to talk about that book. And we do live in this post-truth culture. And so I think it is absolutely essential 
that uh, we get a handle on that. So I commend to you the presentation that Pat gave last hour. I commend to you this book by Abdu Murray, and it is an attempt to really help us understand that we live in this postmodern, post-truth culture, and it's going to be more important than ever for us as Christians to exercise discernment. Well, that's all I have. Let me close this in prayer, and then I'll turn it back to Dave. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to pull away from our world and to think about these digital devices and to think about truth in media. Because after all, it's going to be really important for us, even as we use this media right now as we're talking about, uh, to evaluate how much comes into our life through these screens what's coming into our eye gate and our ear gate, what we're reading, seeing, and hearing. So I pray that this would be the first step for many listening right now and watching right now to maybe take some concrete steps first in their lives and then in the lives of young people that they may have contact with to begin to reevaluate our priorities and make sure that you are at the very center of our life, not these digital devices that so often distract us from you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 4830586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You will also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucrat.